So you ready? Yeah. How do you do it? Do you just start rolling? Um, so usually we do kind of a, look at that cool jacket. Right. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Oh, I wish um, I was that. Cool. Usually what we do is we do a set of, of calisthenics. Oh, yeah. Kind of a uh, <laughs> warm-up sort of thing. <laughs> Should I gargle coffee? No, oh. not yet. That's the that's how we end. We end with coffee gargling, okay. and then we start with calisthenics. Oh, usually, nice. That's how I started. And when you get your heart rate up to, you know, above three hundred, then oh, yeah. you, then you're really ready to. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're alive. Yeah, yeah, you're ready to. <laughs> like. Hey everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. Oh boy, <laughs> today's, you can probably tell from the title of this one, if you looked at the title, sometimes, I don't know, when I listen to podcasts, I don't think I read the title that much, but if you did read the title, you're going to know immediately that uh, we got one. Yes, we got one. Somebody took the bait, they bit on the hook using fishing metaphors to have this discussion. You're going to get to meet Brian Hughes. And if you don't know him, he's really a swell guy. He's a sweet guy. Fun, interesting, um, multidimensional. He's a bass player. And so, you know, my heart always goes out to bass players because you need them. They're sort of the foundation of the band. But they're often standing in the back and no one watches them. Unless you're Sting. And then that's a whole different story. I mean, we can talk about that later. But Brian really wanted to be a part of this podcast. And the reason he wanted to be, and he, he totally played me like a piano. No, he played me like a bass. Let's go with this. the same, uh, you know, let's continue the theme, right? He, he said he wanted to defend the idea of root cause. And anybody that wants to defend the use of the term root cause, I'm interested in chatting with. Just because I, I think the well, you'll hear me talk about it, but it seems like the term itself is kind of archaic, and yet it's really, really layered with meaning and, and governance bodies, um, uh, compliance activity, government agencies, the press, the public. They really want to know the, this idea of the root cause. It's the fallacy of monocausality. Tell me the one thing I need to fix to ensure this bad thing never happens again, and I will fix it. That is the root cause, and don't stop to get to the root cause. Don't stop to get enough staying in the music theme. And so he was more than willing to be on the pod and, in fact, kind of wanted to be on the pod. And I thought, well, why not? Let's talk about it. So we did. We, we, we found a corner in the, uh, in, in, in the recent learning conference, organizational learning conference. Thank you, Charles Major and Company. You're the best. And we just had a little chat. We had a little discussion on this very topic. And I think you're going to be surprised. Well, first of all, I know you're going to be pleased because it's a great conversation. No one gets angry. Nobody cries that I know of. I mean, I didn't see any crying. Um, and we have a really nice discussion around this very idea. And, and, and I think it's valuable because it's really um, a big part of what we need to talk about. Because one of the things that I think is so valuable is the story of how the failure happened or the story of how normal work is done or the story of how this unusual success was, in fact, successful. And to get to that story, you've got to have this context-rich understanding of a complex environment, of a complex system. So it's not going to really lend itself to a chart or to a wire graph or to some kind of timeline because many things will happen at once or maybe nothing happens at once. And either way, it's perfectly normal. It's, it's, in fact, 
It's kind of the way stuff happens. And the ability to talk about an event and understand its complexity and not try to simplify it in order to account for it or to trend it or to track it or to report it, well, that's a big challenge. And I think unfairly, I've been probably not very nice to the root cause community, not because I don't like them. They're all great people. No problem with them at all. They're wonderful. I would hang out with you guys anywhere. But I think what's happened is that somebody has to stand up and say, "Mm, there's probably a better way to understand this. There certainly is a better way to tell the story. And there's a better way to sort of report this up. And we need to help create that environment. And the only way you're going to create that environment is by building bridges within our community. I mean, you can push people back all day long. You know how that's going to end. It's not going to end nice. It's going to end icky. Or you can build bridges and try to bring people with your you or, or them with us. I mean, we're trying to travel together. And ultimately, the goal is the same. And it's not to avoid reoccurrence. It's not to prevent all bad things from happening. Those aren't really our goal. The goal is to understand and learn. And once we understand and then learn, then we can improve. But you have to learn before you can improve. I mean, that's, that, that's vital. And so anything that makes learning better is valuable to us, which I guess is the point of the entire uh, organizational learning conference is this idea of, of getting to be able to learn better as an organization. And, and, and every one of our organizations, big or small, good or bad, tall or skinny, has probably got some room to grow as it relates to learning. So that's what... The podcast is for today. I think you'll like this one a lot. It's been a very interesting week. I don't know how you guys are doing. Um, I hope good. I hope everything is uh, going exactly well for you. It's just an odd time to be a part of this giant journey we call living on Earth. It just is. It's just a weird time. And so many crazy things are happening. You know, a plane catches fire in Miami today. There's lots of learning there. There's incredible amounts of of uh, unsettling issues around the markets globally, not just uh, not just in North America. I mean, globally, there's really interesting things happening with cryptocurrency. If you're not following that, that's pretty bizarre and kind of freaky. There's just interesting elections. They're kind of all around the globe. I, it's just it's a really um, it, it's an information rich time to live. I don't know if it's a good time or a bad time. We can have that debate at a later pod. But there's certainly a lot going on, which keeps us all just popping. And as you know, because you're starting to feel it, everything's kind of getting back up to some speed. I don't know if it's the normal speed. I don't even know what normal speed looks like. But you're seeing more people travel. All the travel's getting harder. I mean, you're out on the road more than you were last year at this time. Workers are really, really, really fluid right now. You're seeing lots of motion there. It's just, it's a time to just sit back and think, wow, this truly is the example of a complex system. Many things are happening simultaneously, all of them interconnected, interdependent. And if I push on one area, I wonder what the impact will be on other parts of the organization. One push of the top Jenga may actually move the bottom Jenga 14 layers away, if I can use the Jenga metaphor beautifully, as I think I just did. All of that, I think, sets the ground nicely for the discussion we have with Brian. 
because this is really a discussion on our ability to understand events. And I'll tell you that I think the biggest thing, and, and I don't think I talked about it enough, but the biggest thing is that I, I think it's stupid that we wait for failure to actually learn. I, I think it's especially stupid that we wait for failure in order to define what normal looks like. That just does not work. And that what we want to do is develop a set of tools, but more importantly, a set of habits within our organization that default towards learning sooner and learning more effectively and understanding the context-rich story that makes up the art of doing work. That's all going to be vital, and that's exactly what Brian and I are going to chat about. So sit back and relax and enjoy. This is Brian Hughes from a company called Sologic. And he's actually going to defend the idea of um, of a linear system that uses root cause to define organizational failure in order to create improvement. See how it goes and then report out to me as soon as it's over. Without any further ado, here's Brian. Enjoy. So introduce yourselves to sure. us. This is the first time for you. So. Yes, sir. That's right. So I'm Brian Hughes, and I'm the newly minted president at Sologic. And uh, Sologic, we do root cause analysis training, consulting, wow. software. you said root that. cause analysis. I know, I did. I know, on your cast. I can't believe it, but um, I'm actually really excited to talk to with you. Yeah, well, let's hear it. I yeah. Mean. yeah, yeah. So, like, um, I guess the the thing, the reason that I wanted to chat with you about this is that like, you've come to a conference like this, and for listeners, right? Um, we're at the Community of Human and Organizational Learning. Oh, conference. yeah. Good idea. That's should good. I pitch it? Like no, that's that? a smart idea. We, well, sh- we should, where, absolutely. Well, it's where we are, you know, and so then it's a place that I actually really love because it's a place where I get to meet other folks that are sort of either doing the things that we do or doing things that I would consider to be adjacent to what we do. And Are you really are you angry thing. that they changed the name from No, no, I don't analysis? care. Well, but that gets to, see, that kind of gets to okay. what we're talking that's about That's the here, point. Right? And um, so at first, maybe six, seven years ago when I first came, um, I was surprised that there was, there seemed to be anyway, this tension, like, oh, we're not doing root cause analysis anymore. All root cause analysis means five, why, ask why five times and then blame the person that's like the one without a seat, you know, when the music stops. Right. And I was like, man, that's not what we do though. And then I was, and then as I listened to everybody, I listened to the presentations and then as I'm reading the books and things like that, the, the content that people are producing, I'm like, I agree with that. We teach that. We like that. I want, or if we don't, I want to. And then, but at the same time, you know, we're calling ourselves a root cause analysis company and we do root cause analysis and all of this thing. And it seems like the word is almost like, I, I was wondering if I was, am I like the last one teaching latin before <laughs> you know what i mean like and, and so then i was thinking well maybe it's the label itself you know and so i thought it would be really fun to talk with you about that on your cast i think it's a it's a it's a noteworthy topic because in fact i think the word has been um the word has been so so widely adopted and it's really lost any kind of meaningfulness mm-hmm. Because most people, if you say the idea of root cause, you know, the fallacy of monocausality, we could talk about that a lot. Almost everyone says, well, that's not what we mean. Correct. Well, the challenge then becomes if the language has changed and is a deterrent to effective learning, then we either have to re 
control the term, mm. right? Take it back mm-hmm. and make it meaningful in a new way mm-hmm. or let go of the term. Right. right? I mean, it seems it right. seems like those are the two choices. Right. That's a little bit of, of sort of a binomial choice, right? It is. But right now, I mean, it's crazy because companies say root cause. Regulators yep. say root cause. They do. But they don't really want root cause. News articles say root cause. Yeah. Like, what was the root cause of the latest tragedy? And I, I think and it's because that. it's such an elegant term, and it's so oversimplified. It is. And it sounds, like, kind of technical and official right. in a way. It's elegant. It's, it, it's elegant. But, yeah. it, but it, I think it's a, it's a shortcut to actually having to think. And, and what it yeah. really says is, I mean, and we can talk about this a lot, but yep. it's, it says that what the leader wants is tell me the one thing I need to change. I, and it's almost always not them. Yeah, dude. Uh, this is so funny because uh, I'm going to go back a few years. I was investigating a series of, um, of incidents where, let's just say there was a, a part that was being machined in a metal lathe. And this thing is heavy and it's expensive. And they kept throwing these parts out of the lathe. The lathe would release the part while the worker was standing close by. And they hadn't had anybody hurt yet. But, um, you know, they were worried that they were going to. And so that was sort of my, um, that was the, the reason that they brought me in was to investigate these series of incidents. And, you know, we learned a lot. We learned a, a whole lot, you know, walk down to the floor, talk to the folks at the machinery, looking at the statistics, looking at the, the setup and, and all of that sort of thing. And we did find a lot of commonalities between all of these different incidents. And we came up with a lot of really good things. Then I felt ambushed when I was at the end of the week. I was reporting out to senior leaders at the site, and this guy who had been nice to me at lunch, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like he was, he was cool, super charming. So I thought, yeah, but we a get little, in a little too charming. Maybe, you know what I, I mean? I think he was totally setting me up. And um, so then I get into uh, into the the conference room, and he's like, "Okay, Brian, all I want to know is what one thing do we need to do to fix this problem?" And I was like, "Oh man." Here we go. And I just sort of closed my eyes a little bit, and I, and, and I said, and I opened them again, obviously, and I looked at him and I said, the one thing that you need to do is everything that we're recommending. There's not a silver bullet solution to this. There's 15 different things here that are maybe not directly causally related. Like, it's not just a one-for-one. And this was something that was more complicated than, like, a spilled cup of coffee. You know what I mean? But but almost every event's complicated. Yeah, dude. That's right. But really what every event is is probably complex. Complex. Well, I love that um, you introduced me to this concept of complexity versus complication. Right. And the nuance between the two. I mean, a, a metal lathe is a complicated piece of equipment, but it can be broken down and understood right. and governed by even a, a fairly you know, robust set of rules. But a complex system, well, that's what you get when you add a metal lathe plus a bunch of different workers and, yeah, plus and a production schedule. A machinist, yeah. Uh, all right. of in a factory and all the noise and the, and, the, and the unique variation that goes on with every individual on any given day at any given time. Time, that's complex and it's not really one for one and so i guess the you know it really so the, all this talk over the last few years um 
so we were just listening to a talk by Martha Acosta. I'm going to plug her because I thought that was such a great, if you haven't heard of Martha, if you haven't heard her speak, she was speaking about um, psychological safety. Right. And, um, she, and call, it, she calls it psychological pe- capacity, right? Okay, I mean, yeah. She sorry, talks about yeah. it in a bigger way. No, I, that's not a correction. I mean, that's, I oh, find yeah. that interesting. Well, and so the thing is, is that that is exactly, I feel, the if I were to use the term, and we'll get back to this term root cause, but I have to use it because it's the only language. Which I have, but a root cause investigator or a facilitator, um, and if I think about my own experience, I'm at my best when I am creating a zone of psychological capacity for us to learn right. about the problem. Right. But then, because we're often dealing with com- complex complexity all of these different ins and outs, what I have a hard time doing, because I'm never the subject matter expert, even if I know about what it is that we're investigating, that is never my primary role right. is to know about, right? Yeah. So I'm an organ, I'm getting a group diversity, um, getting a diverse group of people together that hopefully know different things about the problem. And then I'm trying to create an environment where they can learn from each other. And, and ultimately, I'm kind of the final arbiter. Like, I feel like I'm the luckiest student with a group of eight different professors who all know different things that are teaching me about this problem. And it's kind of my measure for success is whether or not I understand it well enough to explain it back to them to where they said, yep, you got it. But by the time we're at that point, we've all reconciled everybody's understanding of what the problem was. Like they all walked in with their sort of, um, with, with their professional silos, but they all walked out having learned from everybody else. And then it's our job to take that learning and convey that in a way that can be more broadly shared. Um, but that whole idea of, um, of, 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 of like that creating that zone of psychological safety, I think is, oh, I, I remember what I was going to say. Um, the, the problem is there's so much information flying at me that if I just write it down on like legal pads or flip charts or dry erase boards, it's a mess. Right. And so I do organize it using what I would call a logical diagram or a logic diagram. And then sometimes the logic diagram is one for one. It's very mathematical. You know, so if it's something like a very simple physical event, that works really well. It gets a little bit um, cloudier when you're dealing with schedule pressure, for instance. And like, where does schedule pressure fit on your logic diagram? Well, it's ethereal, you know, like it's sort of foundational. And so I stick it in one spot, knowing, of course, that it's going to play a role in multiple different areas. Um, so, you know, the model is imperfect, but it's useful in that it does offer me a bridge um, to help manage that complexity. So the interesting challenge is, mm-hmm. is, is really not the notion of root Correct. And root cause. It's really yeah. the it's really the word cause, brother. I can't even. Okay. So this is the thing. Like, okay, I've been doing this for twenty plus years. You must have started as a baby. Did you a small baby? No, a I'm miracle 52. baby too. No, I um, I came I came out of uh, um. You're fifty two. Yeah. So we probably do you need to pee. I have to pee. <laughs> oh, sorry. Can, oh, can we say that? All no, morning? you can't. Yeah, I've been drinking coffee all morning. I kind of do have to pee. Well, yeah. that's how we keep these things to 20 minutes. That's right. Minutes. That's how you keep them to 20 minutes. See, this is, the Todd, this is Todd's engineering control. Make that's sure right. That, <laughs> yeah, um, so, but I was going to go back to you. Here was this big reveal in my first classes. It was like, 
it, it was usually on day two of a two-day class, and and they would the instructor is supposed to like wait for the question to come up. Well, we're finding all these different solutions, and some of them are short-term, some of them are quick and easy, some of them are longer-term engineering solutions, some of them need capital budget, they're going to take two years. What about the root cause? You haven't told us how to find the root cause. And it's like this big, guys, guess what? There is no such thing as a single root cause. And then they're like, what the hell? They almost feel cheated. They're like, but you call it root cause analysis. Why do you do that? So, I mean, that's a, these are fair questions, that's right? That's a fair question. And, and the interesting challenge is, yeah. at least in my mind, is I think it actually goes back one more level of abstraction. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily the term root cause. Mm. But I, I kind of been running a little experiment for mm. a couple of years of why organizations actually do investigations. Why? And so I ask them that question. Why do you investigate? And the vast majority of answers I get, mm. almost rote compliance answer, okay. is that we want to prevent reoccurrence. Okay. Yep. Okay. And that's fair. No, it's not fair. It's stupid. Why? Because no event ever happens twice. Uh, yeah. Well, you're exactly right about that. I mean, that. that's stupid. Every event right. is different in context. It's different in, in well, virtually everything. No event ever. Every ankle sprain that happens in your company is only categorized as an ankle sprain because it involves an ankle. One guy's getting in the truck. One guy's getting out of the truck. One sure. guy steps on a rock. One guy steps on a bottle cap. I mean, you you can see where the, the events. So the idea of preventing reoccurrence is um, comfortable. I, I think it feels like it makes it morally and ethically and operationally the right thing to do. Yeah. But that's not the reason you investigate. I, I mean, the reason you investigate, and this is so simple sounding to me, but it seems rather profound. Investigations learn... And corrective actions fix, mm-hmm. and they're different. It's not the same activity. You don't investigate to create corrective actions. You investigate to learn and understand the event, tell the story of what happened, right. and then out of that, you analyze the contextual factors that existed in that event, the conditions, right? Sure. And then the people who own the process need to generate the corrective actions because the right. stupidest thing on earth would be for me or for you to actually write corrective actions because we don't do the work. I mean, yeah, well, no, okay, so I can actually get on the other side of that and say because we don't, right, because we can can give recommendations. Sure. The outsider's perspective. Yeah, we call them judgment of need. So we found a place where there's a need here. But I would Mm. suggest that if you prescribe corrective actions Mm. to an organization, Mm -hmm. right, then what you're doing is you're telling them how you'd fix their problem. Mm -hmm. When in reality, what I want to know is, I'm not sure they understand the problem because mm-hmm. the event happened. Mm-hmm. And once I help them understand the problem mm-hmm. and formulate the questions, then kind of the corrective actions write themselves. Well, that's right. And the owner of the corrective action needs to have not only control uh-huh. but ownership. That's right. Or they have to sell it up. And, um, well, so, they're going to have to sell it up. Right. Well, it depends if it costs money. But see this – okay, so hold on. There's two things going on here. One, I want to um, talk about the – you can't ever – like the, you never see the same river twice, right? You're never going to prevent – you don't. You don't, of course. So, but that doesn't mean that there aren't commonalities between ankle sprains or – like footwear, for instance. It's like, guys, we're out here walking around with all these rocks. Maybe we should think about better protecting, a little bit better protection. And that would be more of a – we're not going to prevent like Todd's ankle sprain from yesterday – but we might give people a little better support given the environment that they're in. So, and I know? would tell you that's not a causal factor. Right. That's, a, that's a shared condition. Okay. Well, so I've really gotten to mm-hmm. the point, at least for me, and, and this is not really about me because I, I know. I mean, I don't 
I know what I think, so sure. I'm not that interested in what I think. <laughs> but I've gotten to the point where I realize that it's the it's the similar conditions, yeah, that are important to identify. And and conditions are really um, actually quite. It's a non-offensive thing to pay attention to because conditions almost never involve behaviors. Right. They almost always involve the the system, the the yeah. how the how work is done part of it. So by condition here, like people can't see this, but I got a coffee cup sitting right in front of me and it's like this ceramic cup. It's got coffee in it. Now, if I push it over way out of the way, all right, did I just change the condition and make the situation less likely that I'd spill my coffee? Yeah, but the first question I want to ask you is uh, how how often do you spill your coffee? Not very often because so I'm experienced. But so it's no, it's normally stable. <laughs> Correct. It's and right. It, and it is the cup is the cup the opt in your opinion the optimal way to carry coffee? In well, in a way because I like the feel of the ceramic. No, okay. I mean it depends on what your goals no, well, no, are. No, I think I right? think that's a good answer. That yeah. it's the way you like, right? Well, is it the way you normally some, do it? This you've cup. got a sippy. Todd's drinking out of a sippy cup. Yeah, and this cup sucks because what? there's a giant. So, you guys, if you don't know, it's a Yeti cup. Oh. Uh, it's actually a knockoff Yeti cup because okay. if I leave this cup in this table and walk away and they throw it away, I'll be fine <laughs> with it. take it. But it's a dumb shape because it's designed to fit in the cup holder. Yeah. Which means that it's top heavy. Yeah. Bottom light. Yeah. Right? So, if I look at this from a process safety uh-huh. standpoint, this cup needs a lid it because does. this cup is designed to fall over. Correct. Or fit in a cup holder. Right, which then provides that stability. Right. Right? So, but, yeah, it's like the trade-off. What was it? The, is that the... Efficiency thoroughness. Yes. Yeah, classic ETTO. Efficiency yeah. thoroughness trade-off. Right. Well, so um, one of the things also that you brought up is the, the description of a cause. And you're like, well, I don't really think of that as a cause. I think of that as more of a condition. And then it's the weird thing about language and what we label things because it kind of goes back to root cause analysis. You know, so I, I run around and I got, got this big label on my forehead. I'm a root cause analyst. How are we doing on time there? Oh, we're good. We're fine. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm like I'm, – um, I'm really looking at levels. but Oh, you are. Oh, levels. Well, that's a good – see, this is – people might not know, but this is like a self-produced all the gi- All the gizmos. Yeah. All the crap you have to sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very impressive. Um, but, okay, so I put this big label on my forehead and say, I'm a root cause analyst. And it's like, wait a second. Am I really, though? Or am I – is that just what the label that I've always been comfortable with and that's the label that other people are comfortable with? And then it gets into this philosophical discussion about, like, well, what use is the label? Um, it, does the label have to always accurately define exactly what the words mean or what you think the words mean? And I get into this big sort of like, – so, so that's a really good comment, right? So right. one of my favorite things to think about, one of the funniest things – that I think about is this phrase, stereotypes are effective because they save time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a really a, it's it's awful thing to say. But it is. But, and the, the crazy thing about what we call it, mm-hmm. it matters. Language matters. Yep. And really what I think happened is root cause analysis became a very important term mm-hmm. that sort of took on its own life. No doubt. Well, and there's lots of different flavors. I mean, even at this conference, you know, there's direct competitors to us that are here. And um, our processes are maybe, like, I think of it as, and by the way, I have respect for every one of them. I'm saying that from a, you know, like, I guess, respect for the diversity that there are many roads to Rome. And as I've aged into this business and job and whatnot, I have gotten a lot less judgmental about how people like what works for different individuals because, you know, what works for different individuals, who am I to judge, you know? Um, but that said that um, the importance of, of the label itself or the accuracy of the label, uh, because there are like a lot of different 
like if, if it was cows, you know, for instance, on the, on the outside of the corral and there are all these different, how many different kinds of cows are there? You know, like, like there's big fuzzy ones, there's the black and white ones, there's the long horns and all of that different thing. Well, the label is somewhat useful to say that, well, they're not horses, you know? No, it's, a, it's incredibly useful. <laughs> it's useful, but it doesn't describe any individual inside the corral. Like, and so that's so, sometimes where I think, feel like people who are... I don't the, often think yeah. of cows as individuals. Ah, well, they are. They are. They so got their big eyes. Cattle is sort of a collective term. <laughs> yeah, it's um, true. It's plural. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Well, That's cows, an interesting cattle. direction that you went with this. Well, I love it's the nature of categorization. Like we used – because we don't really – in our line of root cause analysis, we don't really categorize a lot. And I used to be sort of actively against it because different people use the same words to define completely different events. Well, so that brings up a question because yeah. the whole notion of categorization yeah. – and you see this all the time with corporations where they have right. pull-down menus. Yeah, yeah. So they have pull-down cause codes. Because it makes neat graphs. Well, so what it does yeah. is it tells me that they've dictated – their learning based upon their accounting. Yeah. So, th- so their entire investigation protocol yeah. is set up so that they can trend information across the corporation, usually oh, yeah. globally, but lots of times within the area they serve. Yeah. Which means then the actual process of operational learning is dumbed down. Dumbed down for sure. And it's because it's because of the nature of the categorization. If you're if you're struggling to pick a cause code. Mm-mm. Then your cause codes aren't effective. It's we not are. you. It's 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 the it's the system that the corporation has adopted mm-hmm. in order to sort of bring this together. But remember, mm-hmm. I mean, I try to. I'm, I guess I'm saying this to myself. Mm. They adopted that system for probably all the right reasons for standardization and also to make it easy well easier i I guess maybe i'm saying the same thing but like they wanted it to be standard they wanted to report out on it they wanted it to roll up neatly maybe they thought that it was like a balance sheet you know and they have to just define the right accounts i think the belief was they could trend yeah and then they could actually fix problems in other sites Based upon this trending. And, and I'm not sure that's wrong. No. But I actually have decided that it's more about identifying the conditions. Yes. And less about the causes. And, yep. and so one thing I would say, and I'm pretty biased on this, yeah. is that I think the word condition – so I think cause – root cause has been weaponized. Yeah. I mean, it has been. Uh-huh. And I'm not sure it's recoverable. In what – when you say weaponized – um, well, in what way? Like it, it sort of means we're going to do the five whys and find out who screwed oh, up. Oh, I know. And, and, or ultimately, oh. whoever touched it last. It hurts broke my it. heart. Well, but it's. I mean, it's. I, I just think it's a. It's. It's just the reality. It is. Well, it, it is because it means different things to different people. Um, on the categorization thing, you know, um, categories can be useful. I mean, reports are great, but the you want want to watch somebody squirm. They've after they've invested maybe two years in a categorization scheme and they're getting their charts and their Paredes and all that stuff. Ask them to dig into the data. Ask them how much noise is in there. And oftentimes, what you find is that the data that makes up those categories, it's like, wow, I never would have defined that event using that category or those categories because there's a real lack of consistency. So they do have usefulness. And there are a lot of people probably that listen to this are going to say, holy cow, well, we get good use out of our categories. I would say, okay, that's fine. As long as you're consistently applying them, it's almost like a game of darts. You know, you want a tight grouping. You don't necessarily, yeah, you want to hit the bullseye, but it's less about being right 
and more about being consistent because then your charts are going to be a little more useful in that way. So as an industry leader, uh, and you are. Am I? Yeah, that's that's how, sadly, that's how it works. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why, but that's how it works. I feel like what sometimes. What do you think is going to happen in the future? Oh, well. Are, 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 do you see? Uh, yeah. What, what do you predict in the future? Because that, that's a really good place to sort of wrap a bow around our conversation. Oh, good, good. Okay, well, I'm glad you asked me this. Okay, so. Okay, what's happening all around us, by the way, so this is bigger than um, just root cause, but human performance. And I think you guys talked about this a few years ago. Who are the next people coming up behind us? I think it was you and maybe Tony Mishara and Rob and, and, mm-hmm. a, and a group. Okay, well, inevitably a turnover is going to happen. Like I'm third, fourth generation um, in terms of this uh, root cause analysis stuff. And the thing is, is that as we, as the generations turn, um, the the people that started this out, they had a lot of ownership in their vision of reality and what root cause analysis meant to them. Right. And they would fight like swords and shields over yeah. who was right about, no, my method is the best and your method sucks and it's a zero-sum game. Well, those of us that we don't – we're like I don't have any ownership like that. I think that the method that we have is useful, but I look around and I see what the other competitors and what other people are doing. And if I find use in it, then I'm going to adopt that. And then I'm going to discard what what we're doing Do that see, doesn't work. Do you see the future then becoming more general? Yeah, commoditization. I hate to do say you, it. Do you sure. see AI playing a role? Absolutely. But software is um, – so software is a wholly, totally different um, zone. Um we could probably talk a different, whole yeah. different podcast on software and the uses and the abuses of it in the world of root cause analysis. AI, um, so AI, the way that, that we're positioning AI, and we're definitely making some headway in that role, um, it can be absolutely useful because it processes a vast amount of information and identifies useful patterns. But we would only ever treat it as another participant in the process and take its input and either run with it, use it as useful ideas or, hey, <laughs> hey, robot, that was, you know, smart and creative, but we're not going to do that. You know what I mean? So I don't ever see it taking over. I it, see w- it. it won't replace the human. I don't. No, no, no. It won't become sentient. No, uh, well, no, it, <laughs> different conversation altogether. It may have already. I think you and I were talking about that. There's Ow. some scary stuff going on. Ow. There. <laughs> anyway, Ow. yeah. So, but I would close with this: that the 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 um the the language and our definition of words like cause, condition, root. That's where I think the problem is. I think that it's more in the label and certainly less in the doing and the application. I think that you find a lot of overlap between the way that we all go about organizational learning. I think that really it comes down to what we call it. And I don't know how much I'm interested in arguing over what the, you know, like I'm not going to, I'll never get in an argument over, well, what I call it is better than what you call it kind of thing. It's interesting because just remember, words don't have meaning. Yeah. Meaning is in people. I don't think I can talk. <laughs> Thanks, man. That was fun. Super fun, dude. I love it. And-, and we end with a discussion on the wharf sapir hypothesis. Classic communication scholar. There you go. It can't be bad. It's all good. That's the pod for today. Sorry I went a little long, but what would you cut? I mean, you know, come on. Lots of cutting there. Nonetheless, learn something new every single day. I hope you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Check in on one another. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. <laughs>